This is Danny Haifong <clears throat> coming to you. Another episode of Cold War Brew. I'm actually going to share this around because I haven't shared the episode yet. So let me do that right now. But yeah, come right on. <clears throat> uh, come right in. I'm just chilling tonight. No real talking points. If you want to call and talk about whatever you want, uh, please do come through. And get in the queue, talk about, you know, this is just a more relaxed thing. I, I, I You know, I think that there's uh, times that we need to just take a breather. And so that's what I'm doing now. Uh, 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 so hold on, I'm, I'm going to be right back. Um, give me a second, okay? I'm just going to share this around on the social media. So get in the queue if you have any thoughts or questions. But we're just going to be chilling for, for 45 minutes or so, maybe an hour long. Just wanted to, uh, yeah, get a different vibe tonight because Cold War Brew this is a very serious show. The work that I do, I believe, is very serious. Um, so, yeah, let me um, let me just finish sharing this on Twitter. I'm going to put it also on my Telegram. Uh, there we go. All right. So, yeah. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. How are all of you? All right. So that's it. Okay. I'm here. Yeah, get in the get in the queue if you'd like. I'm just here to um just hang out with all of you adjusting to a new schedule. My wife works overnights now. Uh, she's a nurse. And I'm out here, you know, holding down the fort. Uh, so, yeah, I thought I would jump on Colin. I got a commitment uh, with Colin. And I didn't have anything really prepared. But I can talk to you about what I've been working on first. And then, you know, I think just... De-stressing. This week was particularly ridiculous for me, just in terms of personal matters. I mean, sometimes I'm sure you will understand. Here at Cold War Brew, we talk a lot about the new Cold War. We talk a lot about China. We talk a lot about what's going on in the U.S. with U.S. foreign policy. But it's all connected. You know, it's all connected. The fact that the United States is an empire that is endlessly at war, siphoning trillions to do so, militarizing the planet, and doing this all at the behest of an exploitative system, a system of exploitation, of imperialism, of capitalism. I mean, it has it takes its toll, right? What did Martin Luther King say? That the bomb drops abroad will explode at home? Something of that sort? And that's exactly what happens. I was talking about this because my wife and I were figuring out some really complicated tax stuff. If you do quote-unquote content creation like I do, and uh, just a broader word, uh, I, I specifically do journalism, but a lot of it is reader and viewer supported, taxes get a lot more complicated, a lot more complicated. So we were trying to figure out that before we get slammed coming up. And 
we were just talking about uh, she actually got into an argument with a friend because uh, my wife was just telling her that she didn't like taxes. That taxes were just so needlessly stressful. And uh, her friend is a liberal and said something to the account of, well, we need taxes to be able to fund social programs. And Lila, uh, my wife, she's a communist like me. So her response was, well, yes, we need money for social programs, but most of our taxes in the United States, at least, go straight to the war machine. It goes straight to the war machine. It goes to bank bailouts. It goes to making the rich richer. It goes to war. It, it go, it, you know, that that's where it goes. Uh, more than 50% of the discretionary budget is for war making. And so that kind of negates this, well, we, we need these, this way of taxation in order to, we need a regressive tax system. Not a lot of people know this, but in the United States, the tax system is regressive, meaning that the more wealthy you are, the more money you make, actually the less taxes you pay in the long run. So, in comparatively to people uh, on the lower end, and yeah, so so you know, I had that going on. I had a lot of interesting uh, just things popping up in my life. I'm gonna live near a construction site soon, so uh, that's gonna be awesome. I'm doing some tenant organizing, and when I say awesome, I mean absolutely the opposite of of awesome it's gonna fucking suck it's gonna be terrible it's gonna be something that is incredibly disruptive it's going to make it so um you know i have a dog he's gonna be freaked the hell out by constant construction i mean when i say near construction site i literally mean 30 feet away from my bedroom window so it's going to be Quite an experiment, quite a, um, an interesting uh, five-day week for me. I, I work mostly from home, um, both in my part-time job and in all in the journalism, the writing, and the streaming, etc. That I do, but uh, which means that yes, it's just absolutely disruptive. But but nonetheless, you know, a lot of distressors have been piling up. So I thought I would come on here and chill. Please do get in the queue if you have anything, any topic, any issue, any subject. It doesn't have to. I'm just, I'm just going right now. I'm just talking. So, you know, I appreciate it if you stick around. Um, I'm sharing around an article on, oh, I got some, I got some callers. I'm going to get to you guys in two minutes. I'm just going to summarize a few things that uh, are going on with me in terms of work. So on my Substack, I should share that with you all, uh, honestly. I don't share around my Substack enough, I feel like. And then when I do, you got freaking um, the algorithm on social media just throttling. You know, imagine that. Just throttles these kind of links. I don't want people to see. But... But uh, my latest Substack article is on mental health, actually, because I'm actually a part-time therapist. You may not know that. I might have mentioned it. But um, where's the chat, man? <laughs> this 
This oh there it is. This app can chat is disabled. What? Alright, maybe that's good to keep the cons, but I didn't think I did. Let me edit this room. Oh okay. Alright. Sorry, the chat was disabled, so now I'm going to put this in the chat. So I put my Substack in the chat, my new my latest article on mental health. Yeah, I work with people who, you know, I'm a therapist. I was in social work and other capacities. We've been around a lot of mental illness, a lot of mental illness with my family, a lot of mental illness with me. I don't know how you live under capitalism and imperialism without some form of mental health struggles. It seems to me an impossibility. But uh, kudos and salute to anyone who's able to, who feels like they, they can manage without um, without them. But um, so that's my latest article about how mental health is a class issue. Sort of a bit about my story. You know, I'm putting in a little bit when I do my ghost stories of capitalism series, putting in a bit about who I am and then uh, trying to weave in some analysis about the relationship between capitalism, imperialism, mental illness, etc. So that's going on. And then tomorrow I should be streaming on the left lens. If you don't follow me on YouTube, you should at the left lens. Tomorrow morning, I have an interview coming out on Kim Iverson's show. It was a very interesting conversation. She asked me to talk about Xinjiang. We talked about that for about 20 minutes. So that will be on her channel, and I'll be sharing that around once it is released. I'm waiting on Revolutionary Left Radio to release an interview we did about Taiwan and China, uh, at least the, the Taiwan escalations against China that the United States has been waging so that will be coming out and yeah i got some exciting things john pilger will be coming on my program uh the week after this one so yeah we got some interesting things coming up but i got two callers in the queue i'm gonna let you in now so ian you are the next you are the first caller hey danny how's it going hey it's going all right how are you doing Pretty good. Um, props on John Pilger. That'll be pretty interesting uh, to watch. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. I love. I, I think he's a really interesting person, and he's done a lot of interesting work. Yeah, he's he's kind of legendary. Um, yeah. Uh, geez, like, so I like I just saw your latest article, like with the uh, mental health stuff um, and capitalism and. It was in my inbox and uh, I was about to read it before I saw you're going on calling. So I haven't caught up with that just yet, but, um, you know, I was just kind of thinking about, so like we, we know that we kind of do live in a dictatorship of, of capital. Uh, it's, it's something that I think a lot of us understand, but today I was just thinking about, whoa, hello. That was weird. Hold on a sec. Okay. <laughs> crazy. I'm sorry. So what happened is like somehow my my phone pulled up YouTube. Oh. Uh, oh, it looks like Ian is gone. Okay. Um. Yeah. Ian is back. All right, let me let let's get Ian back in here. <laughs> I'm a little slow today, guys, so I'm extremely tired. But so we'll we'll be good until um. So Ian, you're back, and we'll be good. I'll probably get out of here at around 10 p.m. But Ian, continue. Well, cool. uh, yeah, it's not you. Uh, 
there was kind of a phone and app thing where like I've got my like my phone up to my head and all of a sudden it switches over to YouTube and like an ad comes on. So you might have heard like some weird audio and then uh yeah, I tried to shut it off and then the app kicked me out. So hmm. um Yeah, I know this app is buggy. <laughs> Did you what were you uh uh you were right. you were into something though, I forget what it was, sorry, but okay, were... yeah. So like there's sort of these invisible contours of i guess public consensus and decision making like that happen in our society and like i guess i won't get way into the weeds because for some people it's a a pretty um i guess divisive issue but kind of thinking about the cdc and how they handle like covid and stuff and i guess without i guess like revealing my hand on the whole thing save for the fact that i think it's definitely been to the benefit of um capitalism but it seemed like there's all these like policy changes that would happen without a discussion and kind of narrative that's always evolving but never really reflecting on itself and a discussion that isn't happening and so you look at all these foreign policy things too um the consensus against china or or you know nicaragua or or whoever and it's like absolute kind of unanimity um and yet there's there's no debate about these things like in the public domain i mean we're certainly the you know the consensus happens and then we get the propaganda but i i just feel like in so many ways like the the direction of our society keeps moving like by virtue of this kind of invisible weight. Um, like just like, like just some fat person kind of laying on you until, until you're squished. Like there's no, there's like, and there's, and nobody bothers to protest anymore. It's like, there's this kind of inevitability that some kind of invisible social consensus just forces certain outcomes that seem like unanimous amongst the elite class, but nobody like on the ground, you know, no normal people have even discussed it. Like the question about, I mean, like, I mean, Taiwan or Ukraine or whatever, like when has it ever said, when has anyone like question should be, we be doing this policy, you know, like we obviously we've got independent media and people like you to, you know, put a critical lens on this stuff, but you know, the, the country kind of moves in a direction, like things happen, like policies happen. And I just noticed that it's like, there's this, I mean, we can point to think tanks and government people and money, but in a way the real enforcer is social. Like there's like this kind of like kind of social herd thing Mm. and some inertia of that it keeps forcing these outcomes that nobody ever intellectually like, you know, debated or no consensus that was no, no, I guess genuine consensus. It's just like all of a sudden, this is what we all believe. Like, this is what we all do. Um, Like, like right before I, like I came on, I was watching like Katie Halper and she had Robert Shear on there. Mm -hmm. And, um, he was talking about like Barbara Lee and how he used to be a big fan of Barbara Lee. And now mm-hmm. she's like a, a war hawk. You know, it's like 
what kind yeah. of weird force field like pulls them all into that you know like that they're all in lockstep anyway yeah yeah no i mean what you bring up is is real um yeah well i think you bring up a lot of different points <laughs> now my app is uh freezing up i hope i don't end up crashing that's been happening I'm all updated too, Colin, so I don't get it. But um, what I wanted to say about this is I think you're, you're, you're hitting on a bunch of things. I think one, you're, you, when you talk about the dictatorship of capital, I, I think what you're definitely getting at, which is very important, and I think it's very relevant to Cold War brew. And also, I, I think any, any conversation about the new Cold War, any conversation about Russia, China, and the U.S.'s aggression toward it, and how it's so unanimous and and supported by by both ruling parties in the United States, I think we have to talk about what is it that makes the dictatorship of capital work, because the dictatorship of capital works not just through sheer force of violence. It's not just that one, uh, there is this, Oh God, uh, definitely crashed. Let's see. <laughs> All right. Can you hear me? All right. All right. Good. Yeah. My, my, my whole thing was frozen. So I didn't know if I was crashed or out, but I was just going to say that we've, it's not just that this dictatorship of capital can just impose an awesome amount of uh, state violence and repression and can set all sorts of examples that keep people afraid. Uh, for example, you know, mass incarceration, those kind of things, war. Uh, it's not just the, the violence and it's also not just the propaganda. The propaganda is huge. The propaganda is, of course, misinformation is going to play a role in why we would have a low point in political activity that you point out in terms of protests. There is a massive protest against the new Cold War on China, for example, or the, or the fact that the United States continues to send uh, billions upon billions to Ukraine and sheer weaponry, right, to uh, escalate with Russia. There aren't massive protests about that. And, and I think it's more also than just the propaganda. All those things play a role. The fear of the consequences for challenging the system, I think more unconsciously, if you want to get into mental illness, mental health, I think that it, the more it lives on the unconscious because there's just so many examples in history that we actually carry with us in our DNA. Like uh, we live through this history without actually knowing we live through the history. And then um, the propaganda, of course, if we don't know, like we can't know what we don't know and we can't know what's hidden from us. And we also will replace that knowledge with the hegemonic culture and ideology of the ruling class. But I also think that there is just the inherent alienation and it's not talked about enough. I mean, of course, there's a lot of people who know about alienation from Marxism and theory you know, with regard to production and how most people are workers uh, and no matter what they do, no matter even what their income is, they're, relationship to production is one where they are actually completely dislocated and stripped from the very product or services or whatever that they're producing. It's stripped from them. So there's this massive alienation. You work for somebody else. 
you work for something else and uh, you work to basically survive to get what you need to be able to potentially get those things back but really to, to maintain at this level at this point most people are living to maintain some sort of subsistence um in the modern era and so i think that that alienation actually translates and this is something that i've thought about a lot written about it somewhat uh years ago but when it comes to politics i do think that in the united states working people are are more alienated not just from the products of their labor if there is any product to uh, most people work in service most people work in some kind of labor that doesn't produce a tangible commodity it's a lot there there's many layers of separation i think that also when we spend so much of our lives not just in grueling jobs but in jobs I've seen this with so many of my clients in union work, even with social service workers, when we feel very disconnected from the very uh, uh, from the very uh, products of labor in general. I think that there is such a level of alienation in this country in particular that it affects politics. It makes it even that much harder because conditions are so difficult and because there's so many layers of separation that it's hard to spark motivation. It takes a lot to spark that thrust that we need to be like, yes, we need to do something about this. We, a lot of people see what's going on with Taiwan and they don't understand the gravity of it because it takes many different kind of, um, uh, I don't want to say revelations, but many moments, many experiences to get people to this point. I know I've had many different experiences and this is all at an individual level. So at a collective level, it feels like in the United States, it takes, it will take many different kind of uh, uh, matches that need to be lit to, to light many kinds of fires. And, and I think that's what makes things really difficult right now. And then, of course, at the base level, the first thing I think you're right is the Democratic Party mentioning Barbara Lee and in that experience like that. Then Robert Shearer's criticism. It's true. Uh, People like Barbara Lee because politics have been pushed so far to the right in the United States and because the Democratic Party has become the war party in many ways. That has an effect in and of itself, just being. Most people who consider them quote unquote left have emerged from or remain within the Democratic Party. So having people like Barbara Lee do what she did, which is oppose Afghanistan in 2001, and then ever since then, uh, ever since the Democrats have then, of course, into the Biden era, kind of wrestle back some kind of presence in the White House. They have capitulated entirely to the war machine and uh, actually jumped on the most dangerous manifestations and policies and, and, and trajectory of, of this empire. So, yeah, I think I think all those points you hit on speak to something really, really deep that um, I think takes it takes a lot of parsing through. I think that's why it's important to have spaces where we can kind of study this. You know, collaborate, cooperate, engage with others around these things, um, whether that's 
whether we're able to do that in active struggle or through other other means, educationally, etc. Um, but I'm going to get to uh, uh, Phantom Us has been waiting for a while, Ian. So I'm going to get to get to them. Yeah. Cool. Thanks a lot. All right. No problem. Hello, uh, Fantomas. You are up. Sorry for the delay. No, no, that's fine. I, I was going to ask you, I, I have two questions. One quick one. The sure. call-in question is, <laughs> why do you think they removed the clips? Why do you think they did that? The, the feature where you could edit the clips, do you think it had to do with privacy? Oh. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Oh, you mean... I didn't even notice this. The the yes. clips for Colin. You yeah. know what's so funny about this? Uh, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. But that was a lot of work for me, so I never really did it. <laughs> but um, yeah. I, no, it's not just a lot of work for me. I actually have this Android phone, OnePlus 8 Pro or something like that. And for some reason, it's super – there's just a lot of challenges for me on this. Like I can't really clip transcript on this app at all and it i never i've worked with them i've never been able to fix it so i just don't do it so this is one of the things i didn't do but wow i don't know i I haven't had a chance to think about this you're really raising a good question i it could be because of privacy it could be that they're just it wasn't a popular feature i don't know i mean i know it's a new app so i'm sure that they're kind of just testing things um they they also update a lot like there's all constant um, because of, I think they're trying to get rid of bugs and all kinds of things. So maybe that also has something to do with it. They're, I, they, I think it has something to do with the privacy of the callers and the mm. fact that that was coming out on Twitter and they're posting it on other places. And when you do True. that, I think the, the fact is, is that even though it is technically legal, it's the intrusive part that a lot of people are kind of, uh, you know, skitterish about that they were just doing right. this in a private room or not a private room, but in a room that was, you know, a safe space for them to just express. Yeah. I've seen people too, not to interrupt. I've seen users use callers answers almost like principally. I would never Mm -hmm. do that because I, I think that's kind of weird because it's, you know, it's, it's content that I'm putting out. I would hope that I would have some, you know, I'm not interviewing this person. I wouldn't just put their, whatever they're saying in a two minute clip and be like, Oh, you know, I don't know. You know, it's not like I'm, I guess it is a different relationship that you're pointing out. Cause I'm not interview like you're calling in, but I'm not interviewing you. It's different when <laughs> I'm like, I have a, someone who agreed to come on the program. It's not like I have to ask them to clip it on YouTube or whatever. But yeah, this is that's an interesting thing. So okay, you know, I think yeah. because people give their public names, uh-huh. professions, and when they yep. when talk about yeah. subjects, and when that comes up on social media, I think that's it's why true. It's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 by the way, I did want to mention that uh, if you do need uh, help with uh, clipping, I clip all the time, every single day. <laughs> I do so. I do some for a network. I do some for uh, other people. So. Oh man, well, well, message me because right, where I clip the most is YouTube because my I do you know that's where I spend a lot of my time. Soon I'm going to be yeah. going on Rockfin too, but here I, they got rid of the feature, so I don't even. Think I'm, I wasn't thinking about it then. I'm not going to think about it now. But yeah, all right. Well, I really appreciate you doing that. You know, I I, I know volunteer help is hard, but um, sure, yeah, <laughs> so, let's be in touch. Well, yeah, I'll definitely do that. And the question I have for you is is a tough one, Danny. It has to deal right. with uh, clownish 
personalities in politics and the uh, fact that it's so hard to deal with uh, dampening uh, that. And I'm just wondering, do you have any uh, strategy uh, for what's coming down the line? I mean, even if you take uh, the, the M word, the Marjorie Taylor Green, mm. even if you take her with Trump away, there's just so many people. I mean, for example, I was looking at Rob Schneider and he was talking about how um, he says, uh, well, well, there's a tweet that says, when people like Adam Carolla, Bill Maher, Joe Rogan get labeled as right wingers, mm. you know the left has gone too far. And he answered back, exactly. <laughs> so they really think, this is the crazy thing about, they really think that we are in the far left stratosphere right now in politics. Mm. So I'm just yeah. wondering what you think. How do we dampen the clown, the clownish personality effect that's happening right now? It's spiraling, spiraling constantly at us. I'm just wondering mm. about that. All right. Well, to clarify, I mean, <laughs> there's so much clownish stuff in the so-called left. What are for you? I like to ask this question sometimes to get more specific. So I'm not just talking about what first comes to my mind. What for you do you feel is the most – because definitely you said like people who think, you know, that the far left is with whatever. Yeah, I mean what, that tweet that tweet I read is is it's, it's endemic or it's epidemic of the stages we're in. People will call Nancy Pelosi far left. I've heard it from my own. Right. Kids. Yes. So yes. My, my point is, is nobody studies any of this. They I know. They instantly spouted off. Joe Biden's a Marxist, right? Yeah. 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 Right. So, so the question is, how do we deal with this in a, uh, in a strategic way? Because mm. as, as a leftist and as someone who cares about the direction that we're going, I can already tell you, and you can tell this by now, that we're headed for like TMZ level of politics on steroids. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what it feels that you're right. I mean, that's what it feels like sometimes. And, you know, I think that some of this, I mean, for me, well, what has happened, what if, what it really sounds and feels like what's happened that I don't think the, the real left or like people who are actually anti-establishment and who, uh, it, I would I would hope lean socialist, but I know not everyone does. Uh, I would say that what has happened is that the establishment has kind of gone off of a cliff. Like the Democratic Party mm. is so far to the right that we've had the Republicans now, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and those who make this claim about the far left being the Democrats. Uh, they're kind of just making – they're doing that so, – uh, it's not ever going to be a policy. It's not ever going to be a policy that's expressed publicly. But what I feel like they've been doing, and this has been the case since the Obama era, is the GOP, through whatever shifts and turns and twists that they've done since Trump, even they still rely on flanking incredibly hard to the right on certain social issues. And I think calling Biden and Pelosi Marxists because and socialists because, I don't know, they support abortion verbally, <laughs> not even in practice, but just, you know, saying they do because they have to pander to their own voting base, I think is a byproduct of how desperate the whole establishment is to maintain some kind of differentiation 
because in reality, you know, we know that Biden is uh, very like anti-abortion and all kinds of other so quote unquote social issues or what people on the more right wing end of the political spectrum call culture war issues. I, I would just call them various aspects of class struggle issues, like various class struggle issues. And they, I, I think that's what has happened. And what the danger of that is, and I think something that is difficult to navigate, uh, because on the one hand, I think that there's a contradiction that both makes sense and can be and can be taken way too far. And this is the strategy. There is a lot of on the I guess we could say left. There's a lot of since the Democratic Party has gone you know, completely blitzkrieg and, you know, is a completely entirely corporate party and there's a lot of disillusion with the squad, etc. With all of that happening, there is this idea that, okay, the United States, I mean, it's true. The United States is a pretty reactionary place to be. <laughs> like most politics in the United States, the vast majority are, are on the right. The Democratic Party is a right-wing party. The GOB is a right-wing party. They just talk differently and uh, disagree on very uh, small things, at least in the aggregate. Impactful things, but small. So there's a danger here where on the one hand you want to appeal to people where they are and then on the other you know you want to unite people around issues that they already agree upon and then on the other you don't want to fall into the fact that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene people like even like Donald Trump they have huge megaphones and they have huge influence that most of the left doesn't have mm. so the danger could be that we actually try to uh, or attempt to strategically, and I don't think this is a good strategy, but strategically try to win people over who we think have been taken by them. And the problem with this is that it completely foregoes any kind of independent analysis. Like we should be, as you point out, (laughs) talking about how TMZ-ish and ridiculous it is for any of these claims to be made by anyone in the GOP that the Democrats are Marxists or anything like that. Mm. Actually, if we're going to fight the Democrats, we can't allow them to be called Marxists. We can't allow them to be called socialists because they aren't. And all it's doing is firing up the GOP base to hate not just, you know, just ordinary people, not just Democrats because they're on the other side of the partisan line, but especially those who are to the left of the Democrats, which to me is the only left that there really is. If you're not left of the Democratic Party, then you're not really left. So for me, I think uh, in order to, to get to this point, we need to have really – we need to do an honest assessment. I think some people, especially in the media, need to do an assessment of like, well, is it a winning strategy to say, okay, Marjorie Taylor Greene – agrees with us on Ukraine and we're just not going to talk about all the other stuff, right? How she like, you know, shoots at the word socialism and ads and does all kinds of other stuff, calls Biden a communist, you know, are we going to ignore all of that? Because that's important stuff because she has a huge megaphone and what always happens in terms of partisan politics, this is just partisan politics, duopoly 101. When one party is the minority party, they play the outsider. So if, the Democrats are on the outside, which they love to be in terms of just like numbers. If they're a minority in Congress, they don't have the White House, whatever, Oval Office, whatever. They love that. 
because then they can act like they're some kind of activist party, that they're the only game in town. Come to us. You need to be able to win. They tell black people us all the time. We're mm-hmm. the only ones you can vote for. We're going to, you know, no one else is going to win. Jill Stein isn't going to win because we've rigged the system against third parties. No one's going to, no one else is going to win. And uh, the GOP does the same thing when the Democrat, when Biden, now Biden's in office, there's a, a pathetic, I guess, kind of like stalemate in Congress that leans Democrat, but and the Democrats are doing their same old thing. We have power, but we're actually not going to do anything with it. The benefits working people. Well, the GOP now has all this ample room to say, well, okay, well, we're actually the working class party. We're actually the party to that can say things like we're opposed to funding for Ukraine, Ukrainian weapons. We can say things that, uh, They'll, they'll never be held accountable because there's a unanimous on both sides of the aisle for these things to actually happen. And I think this is part of the duopoly con game. And some of it is just about having integrity and saying both parties in the duopoly are uh, ruling class parties against our interests. And this doesn't mean that we forego what I think is a correct analysis that the Democratic Party is the biggest threat to us. But when the Democratic Party is in a political crisis of legitimacy, it doesn't mean that the GOP doesn't is not a dangerous political entity. It still is a dangerous political entity. It still is, um, you know, it still is forwarding uh, uh, the the same dangerous ruling class agenda in kind of like an accelerationist uh, realm. So, you know. I think that's sort of how I react to all that you say, because it definitely is something I've seen. I'm think I think about a lot. You know, I I don't I don't have like a hundred percent the right the the exact answer to this because I do think there is there is a need to talk to people where they are to people to ordinary people. If ordinary people are being bamboozle i think there's a lot of ordinary people white black who are being moved to the to this gop side i think that's ha- i think that w- it's inevitably going to happen when the democrats are in the position that they're in but i think when we tr- win people over we of course agree you know we of course uh, uh spread the message of unity around things we already agree upon but we have to be independent people don't get scared just because we have an independent analysis we have to be able to test our politics in the waters that exist and and no movement has ever been successful by just following along with wherever people's consciousness is at based upon partisan realities that's not gonna that's not gonna get us to a a, a, a situation uh that speaks to real movement grassroots political organization that we really need you know if we want a third party if we want grassroots organization strong enough to challenge capital we're gonna have to lead that we can't just say okay well there are 60 billion people with donald trump so we just gotta think whatever they think absolutely not <laughs> like absolutely not you have to be able to talk to people who uh, based on what you already agree upon and then talk to them about well here is our position on x right here and this is this is why we think this is the correct position. This is why we think this is the correct what policy. This is why we think we need this kind of government to get there. This is and you know people are not going to be afraid of debate, but we, but we know that there's a lot of 
vitriol and propaganda and we know that the society is so divided and, and and has a really hard time just talking about these things without shutting you know shutting people out cutting people out um we know that we know that's a hard thing to do but we got to do it and i think that's my that's my take you know um and it's not easy because i i definitely have my moments where i'm like Oh man, there are some issues where I just I'm just like how how can I how can I really get through to people about this right now, you know, because it feels so as you said, it feels like TMZ. It feels like tabloid. It feels like a lot of emotion, a lot of kind of like media-driven emotion, social media-driven emotion as well. Um that can be very just uh to me just like unproductive and and toxic almost like very toxic uh it's a lot like mixing a record it's a lot of balance and nuances to it yeah yeah like two things holding two things being true at the same time right like people who are on all sides including i'm a socialist but i know a lot of socialists i know myself we we all make errors like we have to be able to 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 test out what is the correct way to go versus what isn't, you know? Um, and it's not all one thing. Like it'll never be all one thing. We gotta, we gotta test out. Um, yeah. So well, thanks for the, uh, I see you have another call. So it's Oh yeah. Oof. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> later, okay. Thank you. All right. Sinway. Uh, I think I'm butchering your name, but please correct me. I said Sinway. You're the next caller. Hi, thank you. Yeah, it is in way. Um, so speaking on this topic of, I know this is supposed to be a chill chat. Um, <laughs> however, I've been wondering that, well, given how this country is run under the military-industrial complex, I watched a video by a organization called Code Pink. Along what few years back, they did uh, a discussion about like uh the military industrial complex at the local level and one thing the biggest ones of highlight are the universities well besides recruiters at your at the high school and university levels there's also like the fact that the military funds uh the well funds these universities for example and not to mention, and I think, but okay, I my mind's going to the fact that there is a whole bunch of other thing that ties the military industrial complex, like say Wall Street. But mm. and but I bring up because I want to think ideas of how to dismantle that uh, industrial complex at that local level. Um, I mean it's heartening a, a bit to see that recruitment numbers aren't as high as compared to like in the past but well there has to be other ways like how the heck do you convince universities unless you have like some alternative funding for them for their researches that they don't need to go to like the military yeah um yeah no i mean what you bring up the military industrial complex i mean there's so much here and it's yeah, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about because, you know, we don't have a real peace movement right now. And I think any peace movement that's really to exist in the United States is going to have to win over 
a large, uh, at least a significant part. When I say large, I don't even mean majority, but it's going to have to be enough people who are caught up within this, you know, or caught up within, I guess you could say, the public-facing realm of the military-industrial complex to be able to, to really challenge it. Because these major weapons manufacturers and just the massive amounts of money going into Pentagon and et cetera, the, the, that 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 it's literally called the blob in some in some spheres uh like and that's because it's what it is it's a blob like it feels like when i was talking about alienation earlier it's like at what level beyond the even beyond the gates and the the razor wire and the extremely um you know f- uh, distant location of a lot of these entities uh also it's the fact that a lot of this now survives off of off of tech. It doesn't really, you know. The I remember yeah. meeting someone who worked at Raytheon, and he taught. He became a volunteer at this day shelter I was working at. He retired, but he was saying that all these companies are are cutting back on labor. All these big major weapons manufacturers are trying to reduce uh, uh, their labor capacity, not just to make more profits, but some of it. He was like, some of this is because, you know, it's to it's to it's to reduce the risk, you know, uh, because risk. there's a lot of risk. Yeah, a lot of risk you know, having workers, ordinary people making these weapons and they're like, well, we're getting exploited here. What's going to happen? You know, what are we doing this for? Um, so I think in terms of the military, we've got to find a way. I, I don't know what the answer to this is because the, the nature of war is so it's different. There's no draft. There's, uh, there's no, um, well, you the, know, well, it's there a volunteer. Is there's the poverty draft. You know, it's, yeah, it's challenging. It's challenging to mm-hmm. get to reach people in the military, poor, most of them being poor, uh, those on the lower rungs, and figuring out how do we spark rebellion there? Because it, it's, 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 we need that. We're going to need yeah. that. Well, ground, well, basically, community. Um, empowerment. Um, mm-hmm. First, build the groundwork for, with um, build the groundwork for mutual aid, and then at the, and then once it's still at the local level, um, bring awareness, of more, encouragement of more unionization. Again, it's a slow process, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. like with more people organized, that's pretty much the way. Yeah, and consistently working at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think fine, you know, they're used, I know, you know, back in the Vietnam era, I know a few people who did this, who did the um, GI organizing and uh, 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 I think it was called the American Armed Servicemen's Union, the ASU. And, uh, you know, but there was a draft at that time. And it was easier uh, and, and there was no gi bill there was no you know there weren't the benefits that come with joining the military and also the economic conditions in the 70s were far different than they are now now there's so much more precarity so much more desperation and austerity that uh, the 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 link between even if it isn't necessarily going to make you rich or even to give you a middle class life the fact that it could I think builds a really strong bond, and so how do we, how do we do that in that organizing? 
Um, it's also tough, I think, because the the military now has such a I mean, it always was very global in the United States, but the military industrial complex at this point has just stayed, you know, most personnel at this point, if they are abroad, they are really abroad. You know, they are in, you know, the Indo-Pacific is something like 275,000 people just like scattered about. Right. So uh, what how how do we reach those folks? And short of a hot war, how do we get people in that position to turn the guns around, right? How do we get that, or or to even just begin to cease uh, participating in such a thing, so we can yeah. so we can strengthen peace? I, I think it's a good question. It's a it's a big question for this podcast because all we do is here is talk about war. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. we can't really fight it without without folks who are who are being yeah. dragged into it one way or another. Yep, and well, I'll go back to what I said. It's Community organizing is for everyone at the local level, um, in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, having the mutual aids to, that they can fall back on, right. basically all well back to being commute. Well, bring back that community and communal spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, I, part of me does hope that uh, more parts of the country is going is doing it i mean for all i know it is it's just it's probably different parts of the state so as that (laughs) yeah well yeah well i appreciate your calling in um and yeah uh stick around i'll I'll be on for another five ten more minutes if you have anything that you want to follow up with but um thanks for coming thanks for having me on thank you All right, folks. So we're hitting about the 10 p.m. mark. Uh, I'll stay on for another couple minutes if there are a few other callers who want to jump in. Um, as you're here, though, you know, definitely do follow Cold War Brew. This is a chill stream. We just talk about whatever, whatever's on people's minds. Um, definitely follow Cold War Brew, you know, do all that good stuff. Subscribe on Patreon if you want to support my work on an ongoing basis. I do Substack. I write. I write for Black Agenda Report. I do. Um, I do. Um, Left Lens, a YouTube channel. So you know, I'm going to be on tomorrow. I think talking about Korea on the Left Lens. So if you want to support me on a consistent basis and you're able to do so, it's amazing. Uh, you can do that at Patreon. It's in the link in my profile. But nonetheless, everyone, uh, yeah, this is chill. So, <laughs> Big Teal says I do so much. Yeah, I do too much sometimes. Um, I may have to um, <laughs> cut back. But, you know, for now, I'm really enjoying the work that I do. So, I'm trying to hold on to that because I really do enjoy uh, the work that I'm doing. And uh, I'm trying to strike a good balance. That's one of the things I struggle with hard, though. Because, you know, the work that I do feels so... Um, I see you, Eric. I see you. You'll be the last caller. Um, somebody asked where the Kevin Iverson interview is again. It'll be her channel tomorrow morning. So it's Wednesday that it'll come out. So yes, Kim Iverson. Just look up her name. Um, but yeah, I struggle with balance, definitely. It's kind of like a work-life balance kind of thing. <laughs> but really, the work is work that I actually want to be doing, contributing to the forward movement of our movement. And so it can it can be tough. So yeah, uh, if you do support, that's amazing. Um, 
you just come to things like this, that's also amazing. So anyway, um, yeah, we're going to end, it looks like, with Eric. Um, hold on. Oh, God, it's being slow. Okay. Eric, you are the next caller. Hey, I saw your topic. Uh, it's a good idea. How are you doing? Doing all right. Yeah, I may do this more because um, <laughs> sometimes I just need to not be prepared, you know, I, uh, for things like this. So, well, but yeah, I'm doing okay. Today's you? a special day. I don't know if you know this, but it's Madonna's birthday. Oh, nice, nice. And I, I really do. I see her as a, a symbol of the anti, uh, of the struggle against oppression and, um, you know, uh, freedom of speech. Definitely, there's. She's one of the most censored women in history. I would say. Interesting. Yeah. No. Yeah. But she's yeah, yeah. she's had um, a lot of uh, interesting brush-ups. But you know, are you familiar at all with Evita? I am familiar with Evita. So my sister was a huge Madonna fan when I was growing up, so I grew up around a lot of Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> That's very interesting. That's good to hear because um, I thought maybe it would be fun for this to chill space. Uh, is I have this idea that I that I like to play around with, but it's uh, the waltz for Ava and Che. So you know, it's Che Guevara and Evita in the song. Mm-hmm or in the play, I should say, and they're singing to each other. Nice. But then I try to sing it. I try. I have karaoke, and I want to try to sing it. Imagine what if instead of Che and Eva, it was Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, and it was like right <laughs> after the 2016, you know, election. So I don't know. If you give me, uh, if you, if you please, I'm gonna go ahead and I'll, I'll give you a verse. Okay, you go right ahead. <laughs> All right, here we go. Tell me before I waltz out of your life, before turning my back on the past. Uh, Forgive my impertinent behavior, but how long do you think this pantomime can last? Tell me before I ride off in the sunset, just one thing I never got clear. How can you claim you're our savior when those who oppose you are stepped on, or cut up, or simply disappear. Tell me before you get onto your bus, before joining the Forgotten Brigade. How can one person like me say, alter the time-honored way the game is played? Tell me before you get onto your high horse, just what you expect me to do. I don't care what the bourgeoisie say. I'm not in business for them. But to give all my descamisados a magical moment or two. There is evil ever around fundamental system of government quite incidental. So what are my chances of honest advances? I'd say low. Better to win by admitting my sin than to lose with a halo. And that's nice. That's just for fun. Nice. <laughs> really, uh, really appreciate that. It's very cool, very creative. Thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, no, I really, I really like that. Very creative, very creative. Um, all right, guys. Well, it was good to be on with all of you this evening. Head into this hour. 
Uh, I don't see anyone else in the queue. Uh, um, and yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think we can leave this here. So yeah, tomorrow, definitely check out, I was told Wednesday morning. So look at, I'm going to be on the lookout for Kim Iverson and her the interview. Uh, it was fun. It was fun. We talked about Xinjiang. That was, that was what we talked about. My travels there. Talked about the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. It was good. It was very, very good experience. Um, and then I will be streaming tomorrow. I think I'm going to have a guest on from an organization called uh, No Don't Tall. They're a Korean organization, and we're going to be talking about. There's uprisings right now happening in in South Korea against U.S. militarism. Unions are protesting. People are protesting against the military drills that are about to happen. So you definitely want to go to the Left Lens on YouTube and just subscribe there. Make sure you are prepared to follow. You know to get notified, all that good stuff. I'll put the link in too. Just gonna share this link with all of you, so you know where I am on YouTube. And yeah, so I'm gonna look at the chat real quick, just respond to a few people. So usually, we talk talk about all the great things they've accomplished over the last few years. Ah, yeah, no, China's really um, accomplished a lot. How do you talk to normies? Do you have a certain topic method that you ease them into Marxism and Leninism? Oh, that's a good question. So my I have a couple of I, I experiment. I think we all have to experiment, and so it really depends on the person. And for me, I think because I I thought was in my article, I'm a child of mental illness. So one of the things that you learn when you're raised by people with mental illness and raised around people with mental illness is that you learn to read people's emotional states, and this can both have good parts of it and bad parts. So the good part is that you're very perceptive of how people are reacting to things. You are you you can understand people's emotions. Your empathy is higher, but also it can take a toll because it means you're doing a lot more work to both be understood and to try to understand others, right? So it can be taxing. But I, in my opinion. What I, I mean, not my opinion, what I do is, it depends on the person. So if the person I know is hostile politically because they are firmly political in their worldview, like they are a firmly establishment Democrat or firmly, firmly establishment GOP, then I tend to walk a little more on eggshells meaning if i want to win that person over to a certain issue then i got to make sure that that issue is something that we can actually unite upon before i can even begin to talk about something like china for example but then there's are times even with people like this where the conditions are ripe meaning that there's some kind of unrest happening i've had this happen in the workplace where through my actions as well as through my ideology, I can kind of stake out a firm ground, like a almost like a, a vanguard position 
where it doesn't matter how hostile they are, the conditions allow me to do this and to win other people around them so they feel isolated or they feel like they have to at least go along. That's how some politics are going to be. It may sound quote-unquote authoritarian, but a lot of politics actually is not always just winning people over. Some of it is winning enough people over to your side so that those who oppose you feel the power of our dialectical materialist analysis. You know, like uh, just explaining and talking to people doesn't always get the job done. So then there are other times where the person is kind of on the cusp. I feel like that's a lot in in recent situations with people at work, even with therapy clients, where people are just, they're kind of living in that anti-establishment world already. They're flirting with socialism. This is kind of the period we live in. Or they're just super disillusioned, even if it doesn't have a political, let's say, coherence to it. So then that's when I'm just, I'm just all out in the open. You know, I, I just... I, I try to play a bunch of different roles, agitator, educator, you know, just try to present things. I feel like when I went to China and I came back, people in my circle had a lot of questions and some people presented their questions with a lot of fear driven anxiety. Well, others were just genuinely curious. Well, and I think it, was either one of those things, you know, I don't think there was really much in between other. And then there were some people outside of that who were already socials and communists in my circle. So they weren't, they were just more wanting to hear about the trip. But in terms of quote unquote normies, meaning people who are maybe outside of the Marxism, Leninism worldview, that's kind of how people reacted to my trip in my, in, in my space. And I, um, and I, I did exactly what I said. I, for some people, I talked about things that I, you know, uh, for some people I knew couldn't ha- who can't handle some of the more militant discussion about China. I kept it very basic. Oh, very beautiful, pretty trains are great, infrastructure is nice. You know, uh, or I would throw in something like, you know, what we hear in the media is so interesting. I just didn't get that feel. You know, I didn't get that vibe. Well, with people who were a bit more curious, less on the fear driven end, I would I would go into more detail. I would, you know, I would back it up with the facts. I would not just my observations, but, you know, I saw this. I saw all this renewable energy. I visited a solar farm. And did you know about China's major investment in renewable energies? Did you know that? Um, you know, China accounts for a quarter of the uh, new leaf area in the world, despite having just 6% of its land um, or 6% of the land that can uh, hold leaf area, if that makes sense. So anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of how I do it. Um, That's been my experience in when I'm, you know, when it comes to when I've done union work, for example, when I've been a shop steward, yeah, it's always been, it's never been a secret that I'm on the left and even that I'm Eileen, you know, socialist or that I'm very uh, antagonistic to bosses and whatnot, you know, that I'll, I, I stand up to them and I'm 
going to do my best to do that. But when it comes to my politics, you know, I, I, I kind of weave through who can I trust, you know, build relationships, and then go. I have a hard time being patient. So sometimes one of my errors is that I go too fast. Like I'll build a relationship and I'll be like, ooh, this person's ready and I'll just go. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not, you know, um, but I think, yeah, it depends. So I would say what Bruce Lee said, be like water. You know, we got to fill spaces. We got to fill spaces with, you know, our flexibility and our malleability and be ready to uh, sharpen many different kinds of tools to, to approach, uh, uh, Marxism Leninism. So um anyway, that's was a really great question in the chat. So thanks for uh, doing that. <laughs> it's one of my favorite questions actually. Um so thank you. So yeah, all right. So that's it. That's it for today. Peace out everyone. Good night. Um thanks for coming and I'll see you all again uh soon. Okay? Uh, be on the lookout. Uh, I'm going out of town this weekend, so no Sunday show, but you know me. I will make it up. Bye-bye.